You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get more from Buck by following him on social media at Buck Sexton on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Welcome, friends, to the Buck Sexton Show. The biggest question in politics right now in America, and therefore I think you could argue the whole world, is who really won this election? I know the media and the Democrats and a whole lot of folks are saying that this is not a real question. It's all over with. We all know that's what they tell us. It's all done. And any allegations of fraud should be dismissed out of hand. But I think you've also started to notice something, a narrative shift. You've seen things start to move a little bit because for the last few weeks, what have we been told? There is no fraud. Absolutely none. Zero. Hmm. That's interesting. Because now we're starting to see there are definitely irregularities and there's certainly early stage proof that there was voter fraud. So I think that the change in tone that you can expect, and it's already just beginning to happen, is, okay, fine, there was fraud, but not enough to change the results of the election. Even the attorney general, Bill Barr, in his statement speaking on behalf of the DOJ, which he runs, saying that we have not yet found enough fraud to date to overturn the results of the election. That's not the same thing as saying there was no fraud, which is what the left and the Democrats have been claiming all along. Now, I understand this is hyperpartisan at this point. I understand that there are people who view the fate of the country as uh, enmeshed inextricably in this issue. But I also think it's very important, more than anything else, that we get it right and we get the truth. And even if the truth isn't what 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 a lot of us want to hear at this point, even if for many of us it's a disappointment, we need to arrive at that conclusion and then we need to move on as a country. But we're not there yet. We still have quite a ways to go. And that's in evidence at these various hearings that have been had by state legislatures, including yesterday in Lansing, Michigan, where there were people who were coming forward publicly named individuals. These are not anonymous Internet trolls. These are not people that are hiding behind some some veil of, oh, I don't want anyone to know my name. No, they're coming forward and they're saying, this is what I saw. And you had hours and hours of this. Now, yes, I understand in Michigan, the separation between Trump and Biden right now is over 100,000 votes. So that's a lot. Even if we find 1,000 votes here or 1,000 votes there, that may not be enough to change the result. But it's, in, it's important for all of us. It's critical. It's essential that every vote is counted, that is legal, and that we know that that's what happened, and that we have put our system through this stress test and can come out the other side knowing that however this shakes out, the next election, which is going to be on January 5th in Georgia, by the way, uh, the next election is at least secure enough. It's never going to be perfect. Understand that. There's no such thing as an election with paper ballots and mail-in ballots and all this with over 150 million votes cast where everyone just does exactly what they're supposed to do. But it has to be good enough. Good enough that we have faith in it. Good enough that we don't walk around saying it looks like it was stolen. Because right now, based on just a cursory overview of the facts and figures and 
the indications of what would have been enough to win in previous years, it certainly looks to a lot of folks like the election was stolen. So we're not just going to pretend that's not happening. We have to look at what's really going on. And when you start to dive into these different cases, you see that there are people who very much believe and are operating in good faith that they saw things that were improper at a minimum, maybe a mistake, but also very possibly fraudulent. And let's also remember that there is a high degree of culpability. It is the cynicism of Democrats in this election year in using covid as an excuse to change, in some cases, as we see in Pennsylvania, in likely unconstitutional fashion to change the way people vote. And now there are problems and irregularities. Well, of course there are. These last minute changes didn't go through regular process. In fact, some of the changes to the actual process may themselves have been illegal. As I mentioned, Pennsylvania, the most important case in point. And I think that the, that it is going to be overturned by the Supreme Court in Pennsylvania if they take this up. I think that if the, the whole attention of the country is focused on the Supreme Court on this issue, there's a very good chance that Pennsylvania's results will not be able to be certified as we currently would believe them to be uh, because they changed election law and they were not supposed to do that. But now let's focus in on Michigan. You need to hear at least, right, the American people need to know What's going on? A lot of major networks, a lot of conservatives aren't even talking about this right now. They've already gone to the move on position. Well, I'm not there. I say we fight to the last day. I say we fight to the last man, the last minute. So let's hear out our fellow citizens, our concerned fellow Americans who believe that they saw fraud, who believe that things in this election were not on the up and up. And I will just tell you this. There's a a surprising degree of likeness. There, there's a, a tremendous similarity in some of what you're hearing in these different states. Now, maybe that's because of the changes in the process with all the mail-in balloting. So that alone caused there to be these irregularities. I mean, I, I find that hard to believe, but I'm trying to keep an open mind about all of it. But there are certainly similar things being said about last minute ballot dumps, about stops in the ballot counting. Did that really happen? Did they match signatures or did they just decide to wave it all in? Did Democrats, without even having to be told who were involved in ballot counting, who were involved in this process, recognize that they just wanted to count every vote because they figured that the more they opened the floodgates, the better chances Biden had to win? Somehow not winning these House races, somehow not winning these other state legislative battles in country in, in states all across the country. But they are so certain that Biden substantially defeated Trump in these states. I find it hard to believe. Here is a Michigan poll watcher. I'm just giving you this. This hearing went on for, for a long time yesterday. So I want to give you some of I thought the most poignant moments of it. Here is this Michigan poll watcher talking about people uh, being rejected from the room who were Republicans. Play one. I am an unaffiliated Michigan voter who uh, was trained by the GOP to be a poll challenger on Wednesday, November 4th, beginning in the late morning until around 8 p.m. because I was told that they needed help. 
They didn't have, they were understaffed. I witnessed the room erupt in thunderous applause and derogatory cheering as Republican poll workers were picked off one by one and ejected from the room repeatedly by police escort throughout the day. By the end of the day, they had picked off so many GOP poll workers that there were probably only a few dozen left to monitor all of the processing stations in the room, which I'm told was between 130 and 160. Why would that happen? Is there any reason this guy would lie about this? If he was just doing it for attention, I think he could come up with a a better story. But clearly something concerning here. Republican poll watchers pushed away so they can't see. And then there's cheering breaking out. Now, remember, this is in political terms, enemy territory. Okay, when you're talking about Detroit, when you're talking about Philadelphia, these are 80, 20 Democrat districts. These are 80, 20 cities where the Democrat machine controls everything. You don't have people coming out and saying that this happened in in purple counties outside, you know, the suburbs and the exurbs and all this. You're, you're not having that. At least not the same way. It's in these Democrat strongholds in key states that Biden was going to have to win. Now, I ask you, is that is the poll watcher? Is he making it up? At a minimum, isn't it suspicious? Isn't it concerning that this would happen? Okay, you say, well, Buck, that's one person. Well, no, there were others who said exactly the same thing. They were there to observe the count and they were made to be so far away that it was impossible for them to observe the count. Here's another Michigan poll challenger yesterday. Play three. I was under the impression that as a poll challenger, our primary responsibility is to make sure before a vote is cast that that ballot is either in the registered poll book, the computer book, or in the elect the paper poll book, of which any time as a challenger, I tried to look at the ballot and then try to verify it, I would get two or three of the poll workers literally screaming at me to get back six feet. However, we did not know that that had been overturned the night before, which would have been helpful. But um, at no time were we able actually to physically see the ballot and then see it in the, the poll electronic book. The person opening the ballot would probably be sitting where Senator Theis is and the electronic screen that we were supposed to be watching is basically to where the committee clerk is. Now, I don't know if you guys got binocular vision, but I don't. What's the point of a poll watcher if you can't watch the polls? How many people have to come forward with sworn affidavits and firsthand eyewitness accounts of exactly this going on in major Democrat controlled districts? Now, this could all just be the, the kind of you know, rough and tumble political melee of the moment, I guess. Right. I, I don't. And by the way, don't don't yell at me or send me emails. Like, Buck, how could you believe that? I'm just working through this. I'm looking at all the possibilities. I obviously think something's funky here. I've been saying it's funky for weeks. But it's more than just you and me thinking that something is wrong here. We've got to establish how much wrong and we've got to be able to prove it. Prove it enough in court that a judge is going to say everything else. All this. Oh, but I know there was fraud. I know there was fraud. I, yeah, we all know there was fraud. How much fraud? That's the question that matters. 
This is not some purity test for whether you believe the Democrats are scummy and Trump should have won this thing. Of course, we can agree on that one. But what do we know and what can we prove? Those are the questions of the moment. That's what we have to get real answers to. And some of what was said in Michigan was particularly concerning All right? and, and certainly deserves more scrutiny. I spoke to Matt Brainerd, who's the guy running the Voter Integrity Project. And he told me they're just crunching numbers and they're seeing people out of state voting. They're seeing people who are listed as dead voting. I spoke to Sean Parnell, who I, I mean, I would trust that guy with anything. I would trust Sean Parnell with my life. I'd follow that guy, actually follow him in the battle. He's a good buddy of mine. And he says that they did the random sampling of nursing homes and it looked like the signatures and the handwriting on a whole bunch of ballots was all the same. Now, I know Sean's not making that up. There are a lot of people here that are coming forward with things that are suspicious at a minimum. And the media is just suppressing it, just suppressing it. They don't care. They got the result they think they want. And that's it. Now they're moving forward to Georgia and they're going to try to take Georgia, too, in whatever way they can. You and I both know it. Now, here's another allegation from a Michigan hearing witness about military ballots. Uh, This was among the most stunning. Play four. One of the military ballots was uh, um, one of the military ballots was a registered voter. Um, and the ballots look like they were all exactly the same Xerox copies of the ballot. They were all for Biden across the board. There wasn't a single Trump vote, and none of the, the voters were registered. They had to manually enter the names and addresses and a birth date of 1-1-2020, which would override the system and allow them to enter non-registered voters, of which I saw several that day. Throughout the day, that's how they would override voters that were neither in the electronic poll book or the supplemental updated poll book. Thank you. Is she lying? I don't think so. If she is wrong, if she's mistaken, then it's incumbent upon the people that are so sure that everything's fine here to show us that. Is she telling the truth? Yes or no? We need an answer. There's still a lot that we have to find out about this. This is not over. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest news and information from Buck by heading to BuckSexton.com. Wasn't just Michigan where there were some pretty bold allegations made this week. Again, in public, named people, people who have put out sworn affidavits. They're putting all their credibility behind it. They clearly believe what they're saying. They're operating in good faith. There's no reason for them to do this otherwise. There's no benefit to them. No one's going to make them rich or famous because of any of this. Here is a witness in the Arizona hearings, right? Arizona is another place. And you're going to have Nevada uh, in the crosshairs this week for election challenges as well. And I think there's going to be some really stunning stuff presented there based on my sources involved with the Trump, uh, the Trump election legal effort. But here's what was said in Arizona. Play clip two. I kept looking at the screen because it seemed very odd. And in the bottom right-hand corner was a yellow yellow banner. And I got to a, into a position where I could see the yellow banner, which said low confidence. <laughs> then I started paying much closer attention to the signatures, thinking this didn't even make sense to me because the signature on the ballot that was being compared to other signatures didn't even resemble in any way what they were comparing it to. 
They were completely illegible. They were just scribbles on the ballot. And there were five screeners screening low-confidence ballots for an entire afternoon that I was in there. And I asked Celia um, what the low-confidence said, and she said just not to worry about that, um, that this was a new program that they were testing. Scribbles. Don't match the signatures. Doesn't matter. Just scribbles. That's all you need. This is in Arizona. Is this, does that woman sound at all like she's been coached or she's making something up? No. She's telling the truth. More from the Arizona hearing. Here, play five. The Wednesday before the Friday that we quit voting, so 10, 10 days before they quit tabulating, they thought they were done. And, I, and then more truckloads of ballots would come in, and I'm like, how can you not know how many ballots are still out there? Uh, Mr. Chairman, I'm sorry. Would you repeat that? Yeah. They thought they were done. They thought they were done and then multiple there was times. A, there yeah. was what? Multiple times. The people that were running the rooms thought they were done or almost done or were going to be done Wednesday morning, then Thursday morning, then Friday morning. Then it went on the whole next week. And I'm like, I, I, I asked the question. I'm like, you don't know how many ballots are still left to come in? I, so I don't know. I don't know who does, again, process project management. A lot of sloppiness, a lot of ways that things could have slipped in that shouldn't. Now, we're going to continue to chase all of this down, but I've been saying this all along as well. So we need to manage expectations here to stop the fraud would have been much easier before Election Day. Ballots can be challenged in advance for people for places that have early voting and mail in balloting. There was a lot that could have been done that wasn't done. And once those votes make their way into the general count them pile, if you don't have exact chain of custody, very difficult to get rid of them. And the tie is going to go to counting the vote. You and I both know that. So we have to stay on this and we will. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. You know how you can always tell that there's a problem the Democrats don't want you to find out about when they start lying about something, when they misrepresent things that you can prove they're lying about, but they don't care. They're just hoping that enough people hear what they say, don't check it, and then it has the required or the, uh, the desired response, which is to just assume that it must be true. I mean, you should never assume that what Chuck Schumer says is true, but some people do nonetheless. Here is the senator from New York talking about how he claims Bill Barr said there's no evidence of voter fraud. Play 11. Well, in, re- in response to Attorney General Bill Barr, I guess he's the next one to be fired since he now, too, says there's no fraud. Trump seems to fire anyone in that regard. It's not what he said. It's very easy to check this. Attorney General Barr said there's not enough there's not enough fraud that they have seen to date to overturn the election. That's a very different thing, isn't it? But, you know, they, they keep playing games with this. They keep pretending that people don't have access to the Internet and can't see what was actually said. And a lot of people won't. That's what's so frustrating. There are a lot of people that will just. Assume that Chuck Schumer's a senator. He wouldn't lie about something so obvious like that. Would he? Oh, no, he, he's Chuck Schumer. He lies. If, he's, if his mouth is moving, he's probably lying. Well, that's what happens there. And then there's, uh, there's Preet Bharara. This was uh, Obama's 
uh, Obama's hitman going after Dinesh D'Souza. Remember that? Try to try to send Dinesh, uh, try to send Dinesh to prison for something that people usually get a fine for. Anyway, uh, you know he's a, a big lib preet. With no surprise, started some podcast with his podcasting brother. Now they're producers suing them for millions of dollars. I'm I'm sure he's a really good ethical individual and not some power mad prosecutor lib headhunter. Sure, sure, yeah. But here he is telling you uh, more of the same. Bill Barr, who let's all be very clear, they tell you it can't be trusted. They said, how much did they spend the last, the last, let's say, 12 months? How much time when they were talking about Bill Barr was, was that he was Trump's, you know, Trump's little uh, throne-shining toady, that he would do anything for Trump, which is a total lie, a total smear of Bill Barr who I know some of you are frustrated with him with the Durham probe. We're about to talk about the Durham special counsel, huh? A little different. But I think the attorney general has done a very good job, and I have not forgotten. You know, you got to give people credit where it's due. I have not forgotten that A.G. Barr got ahead of the hysterical effort to use the slimy smear job of the Mueller report and the 10 possible counts of obstruction, he got ahead of it. He's like, yeah, well, it's our call and there was no obstruction. He diffused that bomb that they threw at this administration. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Because I know right now I'm seeing a lot of people, even people that I like on the right, being very hard on A.G. Barr. Guys, it's not a miracle worker. All right, well, he's, he's doing things in accordance with the law And they hate him. They hate the attorney general on the left precisely because he's competent and doesn't fly off the handle and doesn't get drawn into the. Sometimes loose cannon vibe of the Trump team. I'm just it's true. You know, it's true. We operate in reality here. So. That's why when Preet Bharara who uh, I think they're considering for attorney general, at least I've seen rumors to that effect. When Preet Bharara is out there talking about Bill Barr, you know that they're misrepresenting what's going on. Play 16. Interestingly, it was a deliberate choice. He has to have known that the president was not going to like it. You see uh, allies of the president are attacking Bill Barr all over the place because it's seen as a betrayal. This is the same man, Bill Barr, who on this network on CNN with our colleague Wolf Blitzer a few months ago basically said, I, I expect, because common sense tells me so, that thousands and thousands of ballots will be fraudulently filed and sent to the United States from abroad with no proof or evidence whatsoever. And for him to say, in, in the face of what he knows the president wants and what the president's other lawyers are doing, Rudy Giuliani and, and et al., um, I think it's a deliberate thing for him to have done. And I think it tells you how weak the president's arguments are about fraud in all these states. Notice he doesn't give him any credit. And Bill Barr is 10 times the legal mind that Preparar is. Uh, Preparar really made his name by going after rich hedge fund guys and making a big show of it. And he didn't get the really big fish usually. He just would get somebody down the, down the food chain and crush them. Say, look at what a tough guy I am for the, for the uh, Southern District of New York. You know, really, really like to do the show trial thing. That's who Preet is. And I told you, he also, he went after, um, he went after Dinesh D'Souza. Clear political hit job. I mean, Dinesh broke the law and he admits that, but it was, come on. It's a traffic violation. Give me a break. 
gave a little extra money to a political campaign. Pay it back. Pay a big fine. Go about your business. Don't do it again. Should be a deferred prosecution even. Anyway, it's outrageous. Outrageous. Oh, and you know who you know who Preet's mentor is to really understand what we're dealing with. You know, Preet Bharara's mentors, James Comey. If that lanky, unself-aware, weirdo slime ball is your mentor, you got problems. You got big problems. And remember, Comey was given some really sweet gig, seven-figure gig to be a, an advisor to a major hedge fund when his little buddy Preet was running the U.S. Attorney's Office, was the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, which does those kinds of Wall Street financial prosecutions. That's a great insurance policy to have in your back pocket, isn't it? Pay uh, weirdo Comey a million bucks. So it's really good. You think his really good buddy is going to investigate investigate the hedge fund that Comey's working for? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. No charges brought against that fund. What a surprise. A lot of other ones had at least investigations. But friends, you, now, you know how the, now you know how the game is played. You're seeing it all around you. You're seeing it. And, and speaking of Dinesh, I totally agree with, he had, a, he had a tweet today where he said that you can't figure out what's going on in the, in the world by looking at the news media. So understand that it's on you to figure it out. You know, and I, I would tell you, listen to this show, read as many different sites and authors and you know, it's you're creating a mosaic every day in your own mind of what's going on. That's what you should be doing. Don't trust any one source, any one site. You know, some people you should trust a lot more than others, but you should always be looking for various perspectives and opinions. And, and even beyond that, facts. There's an editorial process for what facts are presented to you more than others. How many of you could tell me, for example, off the top of your heads, and I don't say this is any sort of a criticism, I was doing a deep dive into this earlier in the week, so I was looking at it. You know that there are major cities in this country where they've already had 30, 40, almost 50% of small businesses closed, perhaps never to open again. San Francisco, Los Angeles, New Orleans, Chicago, Boston, New York. 30, 40, going up to 50%. Small businesses, gone. They coming back? Maybe, some, who knows? Right? But that's not a figure you see a lot. What do you see every day? Oh, my gosh, the COVID cases are higher and higher and higher. Yes, the panic, the panic porn in the media that you see all the time. The consequences of the lockdowns that don't actually have the benefits that they promise, that don't protect us in the way that's advertised. You don't see that, do you? The editorializing of which facts to present and which facts to suppress. Now. Some good news about the Attorney General, what I'll spend some time on with you now. I have been critical, or I should say perhaps cynical, about the prospects of the Durham probe to find real justice. Remember, the Durham probe was set up within the DOJ to look at the Russia collusion hoax, which that's what it was, to look at the Russia collusion hoax top to bottom, and see if there was any criminality and produce a full report on just what happened there. Right? Okay. I had said that the bureaucracy will protect itself, but also in the back of my mind, I had always thought there's a very real chance that if you get a Democrat administration, they're just going to slow roll and then 
slowly kill that investigation. I mean, they'll just just drain it of drain it of resources. All the things they said Trump was going to do about the Mueller probe that he didn't do, including just shutting it down, a, a Democrat, in this case, a Biden administration would do. So that was always a possibility uh, that I had in the back of my mind. And that's why I felt like there was a clock on this one. But Attorney General Bill Barr, he's a savvy cat. This is not his first this is not his first rodeo in DC. Remember, he was the Attorney General before under George H.W. Bush a long time ago. So he knows what's going on. And he has come up with something that's gonna be very upsetting for the libs. Uh oh, very upsetting for the Democrats. A special counsel designation. He is the attorney general and he can do this. Ah, yes. A special counsel designation of the Durham probe. What this means is that they can't just make this thing easily disappear without showing everybody what a bunch of frauds and hypocrites and liars the Democrats are. Now, that does that does not mean they're unwilling to do that. But at least now. It's like the tripwires, it's like the claymores are put in place, so to speak. If they decide to shut down this investigation, it will cause a political explosion. Because what were we told for years by Democrats during the Mueller special counsel? Not only is it wrong if Trump were to shut it down, but the very thought of shutting it down was impeachable. And had he shut it down, which he did not do, he should have been impeached and removed from office on that alone. On that alone. That's corruption, the kind of kind of corruption that should get you as a president removed from office. Very clearly established that standard. There's no question. They absolutely set that in stone. They can't walk away from it now. They might try, but they can't. And so with that, I say to you. Now. They are going to have to deal with what we did. A dogged prosecutor. I do not believe that Durham is a partisan in all this. And so his findings may be somewhat disappointing. I also still stand behind my initial assessment, my initial prediction that it's unlikely you'll see James Comey or any of the rest of them frog marched out of their homes or or offices in handcuffs. I don't think you'll see that happen. but. You could. Now there's a special counsel. It, it could get ugly out there. And remember, there are people who are tied very much into the Obama orbit and the Obama administration who are at issue in Russia collusion, who, if not back under a Biden administration, if it happens, I'm just looking into the future here. If they're not back under a Biden administration, would certainly be a let's just say, a a PR blow for the Biden team if top Obama people ended up having at least the referral of criminal charges against them for the hoax they perpetrated with Russia collusion and the usage of the FBI and the intelligence community apparatus to go after and prosecute a political opponent, which is what they did to Donald Trump and his top advisors and his associates. That is what happened. Don't ever forget it. They will lie to you. They will gaslight you. They will pretend that you're crazy for saying it. They used the deep state apparatus of Hillary supporters within the government to try and stop 
the Trump administration, shut it down, get him thrown out of office, prosecute him, ruin his life. That's what they did. They cheated and lied to get there. And now with the designation of Durham as a special counsel, there's at least some chance I could be wrong, and this may be worthwhile after all. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get more from Buck by following him on social media at Buck Sexton on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now for the other side of this reality of the deep state and Comey and whether there'll be any justice. I often say this to you because it's true and it's important. There are some cultural differences between the right and the left, in particular in how we treat those on our side who fight the good fight, at least from our perspective, right? On the right, if you're a conservative and you go out there and you make the case and you get chewed up, you know, you're General Flynn, you're uh, you're any number of people who have been attacked for being Trump supporters. You're Sarah Sanders having lunatics scream at you in restaurants and all this stuff. And then you leave the administration and you're looking for a job. There are only a few places you can go. Why is that? On the left, when you fight the good fight for their side, so that means the dirty, underhanded, and evil fight, but when you do what they need you to do, when you're James Comey, what happens to you? Do you get arrested? Do you even get criminally investigated, even though you leaked documents to the New York Times that you took in your capacity as an FBI director and a sit-down with the President of the United States and should have been marked classified, but you said weren't marked classified, so therefore you just get away with the whole thing? You know what happens to you? You get a seven-figure book deal, you get six-figure speaking gigs, and a prestigious and I'm sure, uh, sure well-compensated teaching job at Columbia University Law School, one of the five best law schools in the country. What's James Comey going to teach? Sanctimonious nonsense from a deep state superstar? I mean, probably. But you see, there's a message sent here. If you do the Democrats dirty work, anybody working in the government right now, anyone who's supposed to be a nonpartisan civil servant, if you're willing to leak that stuff that takes down a Republican, if you're willing to follow in the footsteps of Comey, protect a Democrat from prosecution like Hillary Clinton, who should have faced criminal charges for what she did with her email server. If you do all those things, they'll take care of you. We need to come to grips with this. We need to understand that this happens. The left takes care of it's ideological soldiers. They do. They're assassins. They're hitmen. Whatever you want to call them, they take care of them. They always land on their feet. Good jobs, board seats, speaking gigs, books, or just, you know, a consulting gig, whatever it may be. On the right, we have all these conservative businessmen. You know what they say when I, when I try to talk to them and say, why don't you hire some of these people? They say, ah. I, I know I, don't, I like my business. I don't want to get boycotted. I don't. This is one of the reasons the left gets away with what it does and why we have a tough time beating them. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest news and information from Buck by heading to BuckSexton.com. Battlefield, Georgia. It's just weeks away, friends, and it's going to get more and more intense as it gets closer. The balance of the Senate here is what is at stake. Who is going to be in the majority? Huge implications, honestly, for whatever happens with the presidential election. We still need control of the Senate. 
So to tell us what's going on there and also just look more broadly at what's happening across the country with these voter issues, we've got our friend Ryan Gurdusky with us now. He is the author of They're Not Listening, How Elites Created the National Populist Revolution. He's worked on many political campaigns and knows this game inside and out. Ryan, great to have you back. Thanks for having me. So what's happening right now in Georgia? You were down there for a few weeks. Tell me about the state of play, because Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people that are asking me questions like, Buck, hold on. If we have so little faith in what happened in the presidential election and there clearly were problems, I mean, there were votes, thousands of votes that weren't counted and issues like that. What's going on down there right now? Is, Is the state GOP in command and control or should we all be worried? Well, the state GOP is extremely incompetent. I mean, it's it's it's. The problem with a lot of red states is that they are so used to winning and winning easily that they don't uh, they oftentimes don't have the most uh, efficient people running the show because it's considered they can just sleep through an election cycle. Um, their secretary of state is a bumbling moron. There's no there's no doubt about that at all. I'll break some news to you. The deputy secretary of state, uh, this woman who's been apparently making a lot of the calls back a few months ago, she wanted and this is leaked to me by several people within the state party. She wanted um, to have uh, uh, one of the, uh, a rapper do a public announcement to sit there and try to get um, uh, try to get poll watchers. Uh, the the rapper who sings uh, uh, WAP, uh, whose name I'm literally blanking out on. Uh, but anyway, the she wanted to have rappers sit there and try to get poll watchers. The biggest the, there's two fundamental problems. A Cardi B, one I believe. That after Cardi B, yes, Cardi B. That's the one. She wanted Cardi B. If you know who that is, she wanted Cardi B to get poll watchers in Georgia for the Republican Party. Um, It's just a joke. Uh, The problem essentially comes down twofold. One is that they have they have the the secretary of state did not mandate that um, counties report how many absentee ballots they had in on election night. So to Cobb, Gwinnett. Uh, uh, Fulton, all these counties uh, did not sit there and report um, how many how many ballots were outstanding. And the problem was they kept on finding them. They found tens of thousands and poll watchers were forced to leave major poll sites. Um, and even though votes were still being tabulated. So there's opportunity for fraud, even if there isn't election fraud, even if there was an election fraud, the idea, the opportunity for election fraud is boundless. Another big problem is they created the system, the, the local county board of elections created a system called drop boxes, where you could sit there and just drop your ballot in the box and the, they would be picked up and they were secure apparently and, and brought to be counted later on. That is illegal under Georgia state law. Under Georgia state law, a ballot has to be delivered in person by two people watching the, the, the ballot being delivered because what also is illegal in Georgia is ballot harvesting. Now, when you're del- dropping off tons of ballot or you have the potential to drop off tons of ballots in a drop box, uh, which apparently has a camera, but the cameras aren't being used to sit there and watch people delivering more than one ballot. They're being used to sit there and making sure that nobody's destroying the drop boxes. Um, so you have a problem with that as well, these drop boxes. No one is suing as of right now to sit there and get these drop boxes removed. And every county is allowed to decide how many drop boxes they want in the county. Uh, all those things are really you know, working against us. And the state party really needs to ratify a lot of these problems. Um, and I have a lot of confidence in the state party. I think, listen, they need to pick up one of these three seats. David Perdue was just a few thousand votes shy of, of missing a runoff 
Um, he's well liked, even in areas where Trump wasn't well liked in the outside uh, suburbs of, of, of Atlanta. Uh, Stacey Abrams has been take has been running around screaming. There's 900,000 absentee ballots already um, in the mix. As usual, with Stacey Abrams have come to realize that oftentimes she takes credit for things that she doesn't necessarily deserve credit for. Um, most of these absentee ballots are for seniors that normally would get absentee ballots. There's not a huge surge in the number of absentee ballots in the city of Atlanta. Um, it's pretty evenly dispersed statewide because um, it's just for seniors. Um, so, so, so we're looking pretty good on, really on Purdue time. and shouldn't panic over this nine. Because I've seen that number. Uh, thrown around a lot, 900,000 absentee No, ballots. yeah. People, I, I reached out to people yesterday in the state party, and they said it's not that serious. And then I looked at the breakdown of every congressional district, and it's almost exactly evenly dispersed. I mean, there's a little bit more in Atlanta, but it's not sizably more. It's not like 899,000 to one, the rest of the state. It's like 75,000, 80,000, 89,000, 78,000. It's almost evenly run across the entire state of Georgia. We're speaking to Ryan Gerdusky, author of They're Not Listening, How the Elites Created the National Pop populist revolution and he was down in georgia uh, seeing for himself what's going on there with these upcoming races ryan there's been all this all this uh, dust up over whether the uh, gop and it is a gop controlled state would allow for signature matching in the recount in georgia it seems to, and anybody reading or, or paying attention to this it seems like why wouldn't they allow that can you tell us what's going on so this is what I've heard, and I, I can't exactly confirm this uh, from more than just uh, like voice of mouth from people and the state party, is that when uh, Brian Kemp became the governor, he was originally the secretary of state. When he vacated the position of secretary of state, immediately upon winning the governor's election, the former governor, Nathan Deal, appointed somebody, a, a longstanding government bureaucrat, to sit there and to become the active secretary of state for several months. She dealt with the onslaught. This woman dealt, who was appointed dealt with the onslaught of lawsuits from Stacey Abrams. She conceded a lot of points to Stacey Abrams and allowed her apparently to sit there and get away with a lot of things like having the NAACP be poll watchers, having a motor voter, which is allows everyone who has a driver's license in the state to be a registered voter, um, uh, sat there and okay the idea of not of not matching signatures. The uh, big problem is, is because of COVID, someone in the state party or the secretary of state's office thought that we didn't want to sit there and spread COVID by, I guess, people sharing a pen. So in some cases, they did not have to sign at all to sit there and get and to, to vote. Um, there's a lot of it's a lot of ineffective people running different state parties. However, I will sit there and remind people two important things that worked against President Trump that clearly were um, that there's no there's no evidence of being fraud or, or, or bad run state parties. One, David Perdue did outperform in all the suburbs of Atlanta. And secondly, and most importantly, the ninth congressional district, the second most Republican congressional district in Georgia, it's northwest Georgia, um, that district pretty substantially underperformed as far as turnout goes. They had about 75,000 fewer votes come out of that district than in the neighboring districts. Um, and that district being one of most Republican would have delivered Trump the state, would have delivered David Perdue the state. It's in the Chattanooga television market. And that television market did not have a single ad running for the entire duration of the campaign, um, and especially the last few months. There was, and the Democrat, and the Democrat congressional candidate dropped out. 
So there wasn't a grassroots movement to sit there and try from the congressional candidates to sit there and try to pull people out. A lot of the state legislative seats were un uh, were, were were didn't have an, a Democrat opponent because it's such a Republican area. So grassroots efforts to sit there and kind of maybe pull the stragglers or the low hanging fruit or or the or some of the low uh, energetic voters to sit there and get them out. That would have probably made or broke the state. I think that they're kind of realizing that now. Um, and also, it's not the Georgia Republican Party that's just involved in Georgia right now. The, RN, uh, the RNC um, has also has over 450 people on the ground right now in Georgia. So they're mobilized and they're energetic and they run a pretty efficient operation. Speaking of Ryan Gerdersky, uh, author of They're Not Listening, How the Elites Created the National Populist Revolution. Ryan, I'm sure you've seen uh, some of the testimony out of Arizona, out of Michigan, um, I've been speaking to people on the ground in Pennsylvania who I, I think Pennsylvania, there's clearly issues. I mean, there were clearly when I say issues, I don't just mean allegations of fraud. They changed the election procedure in a state where you're not allowed to do that without the legislature actually making those changes. So I, I think Pennsylvania is going to be uh, a place where the lawsuits could Sam actually drop those drop boxes are against state law. And they still have them there. That is, I mean, it's literally in the statute and sits there and says how people should be allowed to vote absentee and these drop boxes violate the state law. I, I, I don't. Why aren't they suing? I, I mean, we got a GOP the there. The You're talking to these guys. Why, why aren't they suing? I bring it up till I'm blue in the face. Maybe I'm not speaking to the right people. I don't know. They are. In, I will say one thing. The attorney general's office is investigating these groups that are trying to register new voters right before the runoff, because allegedly I saw this firsthand in New York City, several apartment buildings. My friends live in. They had dropped. They had, they had literature being dropped from their house saying register to vote in Georgia. So they are investigating those groups. I don't know why they're not suing for the drop boxes. I. Uh, coming from the world of campaigns, I will say two things. One, a, after a vote is already cast, it is extremely unlikely that a judge is going to sit there and strike that ballot simply for the fact that they do not want to uh, deter people from voting and sit there and try to say and argue this is not a legitimate ballot. It's just the way judges usually work. Yes. Secondly, if the Georgia state legislature right now try to convene to change all these laws some 60 days before Election Day, there would be a very, very hard time for that to get passed. Also, a judge, a judge would probably rule you can't change election law within uh, 60 days of an election. I think that the more likely thing to do right now is to sue over clearly violations of the law and also for the secretary of state's office. And I wish there was a stronger secretary of state. I asked everyone, I said, what was his past job? They said he was just a rich guy who wanted to be a statewide elected official. Um, I wish that the, the secretary of state's office would have sat there and I don't know, had marshals, had somebody there in, I mean, most of the votes in Atlanta are counted in one giant super center. Have someone sit there and and monitor it. They that if one were to leave, they were to leave with them. Um, that wasn't secure. They found sixty thousand absentee ballots days after the election, and they said, "Oh, we forgot to click the upload button on the computer for the sixty thousand ballots to show." Those should have been stopped immediately and checked out and, and inspected, and when they were actually even put into the computer and processed. All these things are extremely worrisome. I will say I do have more confidence in the Republican Senate committee 
being involved on the ground in Georgia than I do the Georgia GOP. But after this happens, Georgia needs to realize they are not South Carolina. They are looking closer and closer to being Virginia. And they need to really realize that they are in a changing state. They need extremely competent people. It can't be the good old boy system where someone's great uncle who's been loyal to the party becomes chairman of one of the most important counties in the state, which I saw time and time and time again. We got to ask you this before we let you go, Ryan. You've seen what's going on with these hearings in Arizona and Michigan, and uh, there's one in Nevada, I believe, it will happen tomorrow. Uh, is the case is Trump's case in your mind? Is it getting stronger or is it is it just disappearing over time? I don't I don't know. I, I, I'm not a lawyer and I have never run absentee ballot challenges in any of these states before. If it was New York, I could tell you a much more substantial than I can do it in any of these states. I will say that Trump's tone and conversation has changed over time. You know, at the Christmas party yesterday, he sat there and said, see you in four years. Um, it's more likely that he's talking about running again in 2024 than he is that he will be the president in 2021. Ryan Gruduski, everybody. They're not listening. How the elites created the national populist revolution. Check it out. 